don't think I could pick a, a passage of scripture that will tie more into where the sermon's going today. So, um, spoiler alert. Uh, okay, so before I get into the sermon, what I want to do is take a moment just to talk about us as a site. This is sort of a little family business kind of moment, I guess, in a way. And I told you in the email that there's two um, exciting announcements uh, about things related to us here in Stratford. And, you know, I know first thing in the morning on a cold day, like the the uh, level and ability of emoting our happiness about these things in celebration might be low, but I'll, I'll trust you to smile extra big if you're happy about these things, okay? Um, so let, let me start right off into these things. I, I won't spend a lot of time. So I want to take a flashback, and I've shown this slide a number of times over the years now, actually. Uh, I began the first Sunday of January 2019 in an interim capacity. Four months later, in April, it became official that I was the Stratford pastor here. So it's been four years, believe it or not. Um, in, in a way, I'm kind of amazed that, you know, you haven't gotten rid of me by now. Um, but in 2018, so the year before I came, this is where the financials sat. There was a total sort of goal or cost expenses of $132,000, and the, the, the unrestricted giving that was coming in was only about $77,000, so about two-thirds of the total cost. And I've said since I came that it's a goal for us as a site to cover our costs to carry our weight, uh, which I think is pretty basic math. You, can't, you can only you know live above your means for so long, right? So um, now we have been getting there slowly and surely, and I gave you an update back in the fall to say we were we were coming close, and I don't know the exact final number, so here's two qualifications on the thing. One, I don't know the final expenses, because those are still being tallied, we'll have them by our annual meeting, so they could be higher than $136,000, which was our goal for this year. However, uh, we have a good idea of the numbers that have come in, and I'm happy to say we have met our goal for this year. In fact, we've surpassed it. So, for the first time ever, Stratford more than covered its expenses, which is incredible. There was about $147,000 that came in in this past year, which is excellent news. Because I've been saying since the beginning that that number kind of constrains us. That there's things that we can't and won't do until we meet that because it just would be irresponsible to add new expenses. So this is good news for us. It means now um, there's a lot more that we can begin to dream about and do here as a site. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who has taken it upon themselves to contribute and to say, I, I'm a part of this, taking responsibility for this and ownership of this. Thank you for all of you who helped us meet that goal. There's going to be another goal for 2023. <laughs> And so I trust that as we do that, we see it not simply as just trying to hit some mark to whatever, but it's just as a way of honoring God and worshiping God that we give, okay? Trusting God. So that's the first big piece of news. That's great news. Now, here's the thing. Back in the fall, it was becoming evident um, that some things were coming and some momentum was building here in the site, and there were some changes that needed to be made. One of the most obvious ones was that we were going to move to two services. So I pulled together the, the leadership um, from around the site, and we identified some priority needs. And so at that meeting, we, we identified um, we a number of things, but here's how I would summarize that list in four bullet points. We said, well, we need to help people connect in the community because there's lots of new people 
So that's things like our connection team, our care groups, our visitation, things like potlucks, small groups, all of that helps people connect. And we said, there's a lot of new people. Some of you are new people and you uh, have been around a little while and we'd like to help you get to know each other more so that community forms. Another thing that we identified was connecting with people and institutions in Stratford. That's one of the things we really value about who we are is we value connecting with like the school and helping there or being involved in things within the community. So continuing those outreach ministries in the school and neighborhood, we said we, we need to make that a real priority for us going forward. We said we also need to equip and train more leaders. We need to encourage the congregation to serve and everyone to do something. I, I often say my uh, idea for what a church is like in, in one image is simply a potluck. Everybody brings something. Everybody contributes something. Some people might go away with a lot of leftover on their plate because it wasn't well received, and others will have an empty plate when they leave, right? But everyone brings something. Everyone brings something and contributes. And so uh, whether that's time in prayer, whether that's calling people, whether that's showing up and being with kids, whether that's you know shoveling snow, whether that's painting things, there's a whole long list of things, but somehow encouraging people and equipping people to make a contribution. And then the, the fourth one, which I think um, is clear to all of us, is we need to really make a priority of our next generation, particularly um, beyond our children's program, for those who are kind of in the junior high, high school kind of range. We need to begin, start doing that so that there's a, a way for those young people to connect with each other, build a community on their own, and also just build their faith. Um, in God. So we identified those things. Now here's what I recognized even then in that meeting. I didn't have some secret agenda when I pulled that meeting. I just said, I know that we need to meet as leaders and talk because I'm sensing there's, there's more coming and I need to hear from you. I want you to hear from me. And I had no idea of what this would result in, but here's what I knew. I knew that my own capacity is getting limited in terms of what I can do with my time and energy. And I said to myself, in six months even, eight months, how am I going to be able to meet all these other needs in addition to the other ones I already try to meet now? And I know some of you are wondering, like, well, what do you even do during the week? Uh, trust me, it's a long and extensive list. And uh, so I, I said to myself, I, I don't see how I can do this. And certainly the, the leaders in that room were all stepping up and saying, you know, we'll do this, we'll do more, and I've seen them. It's a great response from that, and I would encourage you to step up as well. However, there comes a point where you just say, we need more than what we can, we can do with that. Either. And so we came up with a proposed solution, myself and some of our elders, and um, here's the proposed solution. That we hire a Stratford ministry director. So you all know the name John Bartlett. He's been here four summers now, and I've made no secret that John would be a great addition to our team. John has just graduated his Master's of Divinity in this past year, and he's in process for accreditation um, within our convention, our Canadian Baptist of Atlantic Canada. John is actively looking for ministry, and this past fall when I had COVID, and on short notice I called him up and I said, could you by any way come and host the service? And he did that. I had no, there was nothing kind of like, he's just a guy that I trust, that's it. And so I called him. And then there was the time this past fall where Hannah um, Bartlett, his wife, was here, was planned to be preaching here. And then like the night before, you know, she's sick and she can't come. So what do you do? I'm away. 
Like, who's going to fill in? John just shows up and preaches a sermon he didn't write. John is a gifted and capable person, and it's really unusual for a person like him to be unattached to a church in ministry. He's gifted, he's capable, and he's available. Now, there's another thing about John. He's getting to an age where um, certain grants will no longer be uh, available. So there's an opportunity for us. There's a grant that's available that will cover half the cost of a full-time person for their first year. So we said to ourselves, well, if we could get John and half of the cost is covered, well, that would help us ease into things and figure out where we're going. And John is already, you know, not only is he available, he's been here and he knows us. And I know he works well with me. And that's kind of a a really incredible kind of combination in one person. So John, uh, the proposal is that we hire a Stratford ministry director in John Bartlett responsible for connecting things, helping people find community and care, doing equipping, equipping people for service and leadership, doing some of those special projects and outreach, so things with their schools, things with their neighborhood. You've seen over the years some of the things John's been able to do in the summers already, and then other duties as required, which is the way of saying, you're going to do whatever Gordon tells you to do. So, <laughs> so um I I present this, this is not a done deal. This is a proposal. And it's something that I believe, and I I think our leadership and our elders team recognize there's a need for this, and there's an opportunity, and there's a, a person that's available, and so why not make the move to make this happen? I believe that with the help of someone like John, we can go even further than what we're doing now, and we can do even better, and and as a congregation, we'll be even healthier. Whether or not that results in us growing in numbers is irrelevant to me. I want us to be healthy as we deeply pursue Jesus. But I believe that it will also help us to grow and invite more people into our community of fellowship and to come and know Jesus, participate in that life. So that's my hope. That's that's sort of where I see things going and where we've talked about. That's going to be voted on as part of our budget at the annual general meeting. I would encourage you to be part of that. But in the meantime, if you've got questions about that, I'd love to hear them. You can ask our elders, and and we can talk about this before that, but also then ultimately, hopefully, making it official at that meeting. There's a few dynamics about that. Obviously, John's wife, Hannah, is our next generation pastor in Cornwall. It will mean that the two of them are serving in different sites, and that'll be something we have to figure out and navigate well for their sake. We want to make sure that they as a couple are healthy and strong, too. And so that's something the elders have talked about, John and Hannah and I, we've all talked about, and I think that we can figure it out. It's not like when you're in ministry, it's not like you're sitting down next to your person holding their hand on a Sunday morning. It just doesn't work like that. So being in two sites on a Sunday morning isn't necessarily a big deal, uh, but helping them navigate that well will be a thing. Um, I think the next, here, what you can help by, here's a few things. One, pray. Pray that we have wisdom as we do this. Pray that the grant funding would come through. Pray just that we as a church would continue to grow and pursue Christ and be healthy. Look for your own place. Find your own place to connect and serve. The goal is not to have John take a bunch of jobs that volunteers are doing. In fact, the goal is to have John facilitate volunteers. And so it's it's not that he's coming to take anyone's volunteer job. It's to create more volunteer jobs and to help you find your spot. And then you can attend the annual meeting on February 11th, and you can keep giving regularly. If you're not doing that already, I'd encourage you to do that. 
when people give, certainly it's an act of trust towards God, it's an act of worship, but it's also a means for us as a community to, to step forward and support one another. And, and, you know, this means for me personally, I'm going to figure out how I can increase my own giving to support this as well. So, you know, I don't know about you, how many of your bosses start paying into the company more so they can hire another employee? <laughs> well, that's what I'm doing, and I hope that you'll consider doing the same as well. Uh, I think the next slide just says any questions, and I just want to give you an opportunity to ask a question right now if you want to. Um, if you don't have any questions or you feel more comfortable doing that privately, that's, that's totally cool as well. But does anyone have any questions about either of those two things? All right, feel free to send an email, talk to the elders, talk to me. Um, I hope you receive both of those things as good news. Uh, are those good news? Okay. All right, and the, the windows are bright today. Would someone mind just pulling the, the shades down a bit so we can see the screen a little bit better? Let's get into our sermon now. Uh, jump right into it. So uh, the sermon series is Lost the Plot. And last week we began um, looking at the first story, which is Abraham. And Abraham um, helps us see God at the center of the story. So I'm going to dive right into it here. Let's go to the next slide. We've been walking through a speech by a man named Stephen, who is part of the early church. He's the very first person, in fact, who is killed because of his faith in the Christian church. And uh, Stephen, as he goes through this long speech before he's killed, he recounts the story of the people of Israel. And what we're doing over the next while is going through that speech, looking at the people that he identifies, and looking at their stories a little more closely in detail. So we see that the story ultimately points to God at the center of it all. So Stephen says in Acts 7, God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time, so when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob and when Jacob became the father of 12 patriarchs of the Israelite nation. Now, Stephen compresses a whole lot of history and a whole lot of stories into just one short paragraph. And even though he uh, uh, mentions Isaac and Jacob, we're really going to focus more on Abraham today because of the, the, the one main idea of this paragraph being the covenant of Abraham being continued throughout the history. So what's that covenant? What's it about? What's going on in the life of the people of God? Well, that's what we're going to dig into today. All right, so let's go into the story. Here's how we lose the plot. This is what we're going to be looking at today. We lose the plot when we try to take control of God's plans. That's the first thing. The second is we lose the plot when we limit belief about what God is able to do. So we lose the plot when we try to do, take over God's plans, and we lose the plot when we limit what God, what we believe God can do. Right? Well, God's not capable of that, or he would never do that, or he doesn't want to do that. So let's go to the next slide. In Genesis chapter 16, we see Abraham losing the plot. He has been promised that he will be the father of a great nation, that he will have many descendants, and yet he and his wife are extremely old and totally unable to have children. So at this point, they decide to take matters into their own hands. 
Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, now I'll mention again, um, Abraham's name was originally Abram. We're going to see that a little bit later on. And his wife's name, Sarah, was originally Sarai. God changes their names to change their sense of identity about who they are and calling for them. So I keep referring to Abraham, but originally, and as we see in this text, his name is Abram. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Now that's interesting. They have been given a promise by God, and they say this promise isn't coming about, so let's take matters into our own hands. Let's take control of the plan. Obviously, God wants me to be successful. Obviously, God wants me to succeed. Obviously, God wants to fulfill his promise to me, but he doesn't seem to be doing it. So we'll make it happen ourselves. Uh, I, I don't know. This is a pretty interesting scenario. You know, uh, imagine Sarai bringing this to Abram, saying, so you know we haven't been able to have children, right? Well, uh, you, you know the cleaning lady who comes on Wednesdays? <laughs> what if? Dot, dot, dot. What a strange kind of proposal here. But they're taking matters into their own hands. And Abram agrees to this proposal. Well, what eventually happens next is Hagar gave Abram a son. And Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Now this whole situation, as you can imagine, goes south pretty quickly. While Hagar is pregnant, Sarai gets incredibly jealous and starts mistreating her. That's not really a surprise, is it? That jealousy would start to form. That if you had women, if your husband had a, a child with another woman, wouldn't there be jealousy? Of course there would. Even if it's something he proposed, right? This woman has been able to do something that she's not been able to do in all of her own years of life. Of course she's sad. Of course she's jealous. But this is what starts to happen. When we try to take matters in our own hands and do God's purposes in our own way, when we try to build God's promises with our own tools, it doesn't really work. And it results in trouble. And it's no surprise that this creates tension and conflict within the unit, the family unit. Now what's interesting here, Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. The very next sentence of the Bible then flips to when Abram is 99. So there's this incredible leap forward in time. And still, Abram and Sarai have not been able to have a child. They must be thinking, well, the only way God's promise is coming about is through this one son that they've had uh, through Hagar in Ishmael. But then God begins to speak to Abram again. Now, I'm not going to go through all that God says on the next slide here, but what I've done is I've summarized it just so we can see it clearly. This is Genesis 17 now. What God says to Abram is a restatement of the promise he was given earlier. What he says is, you will have countless descendants, but he says from Sarah, from his wife, who so far has been infertile, he's going to change his name. 
And the name meaning now that Abraham means father of many nations. That he's going to be given the land, the promised land of Canaan. And that God is going to have an everlasting relationship with Abraham. Now the other part of the covenant, because a covenant is kind of like an agreement or a contract. It's, it's like a marriage in a sense. It's here's how we're going to relate to each other. There's a definition of how the relationship is going to proceed. On the other side, Abram is, Abraham is supposed to do some things. He's supposed to serve God faithfully, living a blameless life, and he's supposed to be circumcised. Which seems like a strange kind of idea, isn't it? You know, like, cut off part of your body as a sign of your faithfulness to me. That sounds really strange. But what's, what's going on here is God is saying, I want you to take an, in, I want you to have an intimate reminder that all the children you're going to have are a sign of my promise to you being fulfilled, and that through every generation there will be that same intimate reminder of God's fruitfulness coming about in a way that seemed impossible. That God was faithful in providing, and that God is the source of even the most intimate provision for us in our lives. So that's why circumcision. So now... You hear all of these things. You hear Abraham. You know you can see what might be going on in his mind. Let's go to the next slide here as the story continues to unfold. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 99 years old? You can hear him kind of chuckling under his breath. So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. He's thinking, God must have misspoken. <laughs> what a funny thought, right? God may, must have made a mistake. He must have meant, not through Sarah, he must have meant Hagar. There's, God just doesn't seem to get it. Let me explain things to God. You see how silly that sounds when you say it that way. Oh, sure, surely God, you must have misspoken. Uh, instead of Sarah, you mean Hagar, and you mean Ishmael. Not that I'm going to have another child through Sarah. God replied, no, no, Sarah, your wife. Just to be clear, I didn't speak out of turn. No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. In other words, Sarah really is going to have a child for you, a son. And that son is going to be part of the same blessings I'm giving to you as well. This is going to keep going on generation after generation. What's more, his name is Isaac. Now, do you know what Isaac means? Laughter. Because this idea seems laughable if God's not in it. It's laughable that Abraham, at 100 years old, is going to have a son that's going to become a great nation. It's laughable that God would do something like this. But rather than mocking, rather it would result in joy and praise. And so God says, yeah, this is funny. This is funny. And I'm going to give you a reason to laugh. I'm going to give you a son. Through that old woman named Sarah. Well, even Sarah finds this hard to believe. Next slide. A little bit later, this happens where they're... Um, uh, where this sort of comes up again. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, 
and Sarah was long past the age of having children, so she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. Because you can imagine, she's like, I'm 90. He's 100. How, how is this even possible that we could conceive? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? I find this exchange really funny. Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Well, listen to what God says next. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, No, you did laugh. It's like, again, like, who are you fooling? Like, like God didn't hear you? <laughs> like, you're going to say that God's lying? Like, what a strange moment, though, for them. You can imagine how, how absolutely, like, unbelievable this moment is. You can imagine why she's laughing, of course. But you see what's happening here is that both Abraham and Sarah are having a hard time that believing that God could actually do what God says he's going to do. They have this belief that God is unable to do it because they're looking at themselves rather than God. This is what we talked about last week. We lose the plot when we look at the obstacles or ourselves instead of looking at God. And so this limiting belief means that they're going to miss what God's doing if they don't get with the program. Why did Sarah laugh? Well, because it's, it's an unbelievable idea. It seems preposterous. God says he's going to do it, and God does. Let's go to the next slide. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born, and Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby and I've given Abraham a son in his old age. There's something really interesting here in this moment when she says, God has brought me laughter because Isaac means laughter. She's using his name kind of as a pun here. God has brought me Isaac. God has brought me laughter. God has brought me laughter. God has brought me Isaac. She's saying the same thing. Isaac's name is a reminder that God can do what seems laughable. God can do what seems impossible. And God brings about that deep abiding joy with a holy life. You know, one of the things that I think God enjoys doing is doing the impossible doing the thing that we think can't be done. Because it shows that it's really not about Abraham, it's really not about Sarah, it's about what God can do. And it's a beautiful moment that we can join in celebrating with her. God brings laughter into the dead and impossible spaces. God brings. So now you would begin to think that Abraham kind of is getting the point that God can do the impossible. That God is able to do what he could never have imagined. 
And God does something new. Now that Isaac is a young boy, we don't know exactly how old, there's another story that unfolds, and it's kind of a shocking one. Let's go to the next slide. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Uh, what? This was common in the religions around Abraham at the time. Common to sacrifice a child. It still sounds weird, and it sure sounds strange that God would go through this long 25-year process of promising Isaac, and then however many years old he is, 10, 14, we don't know, that God would wait 30, 35 years of this promise only to then ask Abraham to kill that child. How strange is this? What kind of God is this? This doesn't make any sense at all. Like there's no way now at say 110 that Abraham is going to have another child. The one miracle child was enough. How is it ever going to... What in the world is God thinking? Why is God saying this? This makes no sense whatsoever. And yet, Abraham immediately obeys. Why? Now this is a strange story. This is not something that we should ever look to as a story that we should model our own lives after. Just to be clear. If you ever tell me that God has called you in a vision to kill one of your children, I'm making another phone call. Okay? But look how this unfolds. And there's something going on inside Abraham's mind that we don't quite read in the story, but we'll see it a little bit more clearly as we go. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. Look at this. He's putting the wood to burn his son as a sacrifice. He's putting it on his own son's back. He's carrying the fire. He's carrying a knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, we don't know how old Isaac is, but he's old enough to talk. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? The kid's cluing in something's not quite right. I hope he's not figuring out what his father is about to do. But listen to Abraham's response. It gives us a picture of something. Whereas originally, Abraham and Sarah felt like they had to make things happen for God's plan to come about. Now, he has a new presumption. He presumes now, because he's seen Isaac, he's seen that God can do the laughable, now he has a presumption that somehow God will make this work out. Even though it doesn't make sense to him, 
somehow God is going to do something. And here's his response. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering of God. And they both walked on together. This passage gives me a chill to think about. Like, this is, like, I cannot imagine as a father walking through this moment. And yet you hear there's something going on. He's trusting God to do something he can't even imagine. He's saying to himself, somehow God is going to provide in this. I don't know how, I don't understand, but I've seen God do the laughable before, so now I'm going to trust and obey even when it doesn't make Now go to the next slide here. What we see here is the New Testament um, commenting on Abraham's mindset. They've picked up on this. And what happens in the story, just to give you, kind of, instead of leaving that hanging in case you don't know the story, they get up to the mountain, they prepare the whole thing, Abraham even binds up Isaac, and he's about to, ra he's raising the knife, and then there's a rustling in the bushes, and there's a ram. They take the ram, and they sacrifice the ram instead. They couldn't have imagined this possibility, and yet God provides. God did provide the ram. Now, this whole story has all these great you know, references and allusions to what will happen later in Jesus. But look at what the, the New Testament writers say about what must have been going on in Abraham's mind at the time. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told, them, told him, Isaac is the son for whom your descendants will be found. Here's, here's what's going on. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Abraham has said, I'm trusting God no matter what now, because I've seen him do what's laughable. And because I trust him, if he says that Isaac is going to be the one through whom I'll have many descendants, then somehow, if God asks me to kill him, then somehow God's going to raise him back to life. That's the only possible explanation, because I know God can do whatever God wants. And I can't imagine this, I don't understand it, but I'll do whatever God says, trusting that God is going to make it happen, because God can do the laughable. So Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Such is Abraham's faith now, because he's seen God do it. Romans chapter 4, which we heard Carolyn read earlier. Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Abraham and Sarah didn't trust God, and so they took matters into their own hands. That's where they lost the plot. But now, they've seen God do it. So, now Abraham has a faith that says, God can do it. He can create new things out of nothing. God can bring people back from the dead. So I'm going to act like that's going to be the case. And instead, what God does is he twists it and does something else altogether. This is a strange test of God. It's a unique test of God. And yet, it's revealing something about Abraham's faith that's something we should look to for ourselves as well. To have the kind of faith that believes God can do the impossible. That God can do the laughable. It's 
So let's go to the next slide here. So reflecting on this story, what it means for us to find God at the center, here's what it means. We let God be in control of God's plans. When we have a sense of how God is leading us and guiding us, we trust him to bring it about. We don't try to force his hand. We don't just try to do it and rush it along on our own. We let God bring about his plans. We let him be in control. And the second thing is, we believe that God is able. Able to do the impossible. Able to do the laughable. God is able. And when we don't have those two things in mind, when we limit God by disbelieving he's able to do something, we miss out on an incredible story unfolding. Now I'm going to step out of the sermon back into kind of the Stratford update for a second. And I want to take you to a verse that in the earliest days of my time here, I shared with you, and I think it, it resonates with the sermon today, but it also resonates for us as a community, as individuals and as a community. And it's these words from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever. Jesus was killed, and nobody thought it was possible what would happen next. Even though he's been telling them, I'm going to be killed, but I'm coming back. Nobody thought there was ever a way that someone could come back to life after three days in the world. Jesus is the ultimate answer to every question that we have about whether or not it's possible. God can do it. They laughed at Jesus. They laughed at Jesus. They killed him. God can do immeasurably more. In fact, one translation says infinitely more. Buzz Lightyear says to infinity and beyond. God can do more than all that we ask or imagine or could even begin to dream about. God can do more. God can do what seems laughable to us now. God can do it. We've already been seeing situations turn around here in our congregation, here in some of your lives. I've seen it in my own life that God can do what seems impossible. If we trust Him and we follow Him, He will lead us right because God is good and God is able. And the same God that Abraham followed, the same God that Mary followed, the same God that David followed, the same God, and we've been singing that song and we're going to sing it again, the same God that acted in history is alive today. And he's here amongst us right now. And he's able to do what seems impossible to you. It's, he's able to do what seems laughable to us. But we pray together as a community that as we allow God to bring about His plans in His own way, in His own timing, that in the end, we'll be laughing with joy at what God has done. We'll be laughing with delight at what God has accomplished among us. That's part of the joy of the good news. 
And it's the joy of seeing God at work here. So let's pray. God, help us to have eyes to see, to have a vision for the things of you. To hear your voice calling and speaking, to know how you are leading us and guiding us as individuals, as a community. Help us to recognize the impossible dreams that we see before us are nothing compared to you, that you can do even those things that seem laughable to us and to others. And when other people look at us and say, you're crazy, there's no way God would do that for you. Help us remember the story of Abraham and Sarah and how you did it then and you can do it now. Thank you, God, that nothing is too much for you. We've seen in Jesus that even death isn't going to be the one that has the victory. That you are even greater above them. But Jesus, we, we look to you as our Savior. We look to you as the one who is above it all. We look to what you will do next. Your favor and goodness bestowed upon.